Good morning. <laughs> Round two, here we go. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. Good to be with the, the, uh, my second half of the church, I guess. I know there's another half that comes earlier, those early bird people. And, um, but it is my pleasure to be able to bring the word to you today. Um, uh, wanna, I've been a partner. My name is Brian. I've been a partner at Rev for about three years or so. And, um, yeah, there we go. And um, Ryan Iggy and I, or he asked me to prepare for this particular um, portion of Scripture in James, which we're going to jump into here in a little bit. And then um, Jack is going to be taking care of next week. That's going to be fun. It's exciting to hear Jack, and uh, I've never heard him before. That'll be great. And then, um, and continue on through James. So are you enjoying James? Yeah. Um, James, uh, we're going to jump into James chapter 1 here in just a minute and uh, go through a couple of verses there, and then we'll, we'll continue and see what the Lord has. Um, so, <clears throat> a little icy this morning. I jumped in my car. I um, ran to my office, and I printed my notes, and I printed my first set of notes, not my second set of notes. So, you get the short version today. <laughs> but... I think it's the Lord. So you get the Lord's version. That, how's that? So, um, but I am very thankful and humbled. And I'm always reminded every time I prepare to speak at how much effort, time, and work goes into this. So for those of you that labor in the word, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it so much. And um, it's, it is definitely a labor of love. Um, so Ryan gave me two verses today, okay? 19 and 20. And I'm okay with it because that means I didn't have to dig super duper hard. But um, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 is where we're going to pick up. And, um, and uh, before we do that, though, I just want to talk briefly about James from my, kind of from my perspective. I know Ryan has already introduced it and, and has done a really good job, far better than I could do. But I'm just saying I, I have some thoughts about it. When he mentioned that Luther, I don't know if you saw it when he first introduced James, he talked about Luther and how Luther said that uh, James was this quite strawy epistle. And um, I was like, man, that kind of struck a chord with me. Um, because when I was a, a young student in college back long ago, uh, I, I kind of remember James being that way to me. Like, why is, why did, is James ever read Paul? Like, has he ever read the gospel? And... Um, but on further study and through this week even, I've been reminded that, that uh, James was definitely um, not countering Paul's teachings in Romans and Galatians about justification by faith. He wasn't countering that, um, and he wasn't trying to correct that. And in fact, he was doing something, uh, in my opinion, that was probably a little more difficult for him personally. Um, one, one author says that James writes to converts, to converts, excuse me, of the Lord Christ, and therefore he delivers nothing in this epistle about first principles of faith and the doctrine of our religion. Rather, James is correcting certain sins which are appearing in God's people. So the idea of James, which we can often uh, mess up on pretty quickly if we're not careful, is that James is just promoting works and that we're not saved by faith through grace. And so that's not what's happening here, um, but James is definitely pointing out 
that there's some sanctification that is going on in his people that God is trying to work out. And so if you're not familiar with that, sanctification, most of you are, is the ongoing work of God perfecting us. It's the ongoing work of God working in us his good, to his good will and his good pleasure so that we will be perfected in him in the end. So um, uh, the two verses that I have today, um, uh, they're, they're sandwiched between the testing of our faith, which, which uh, Ryan uh, was finishing up last week, and then they're, they're kind of a transition into hearing and doing the word, which I said Jack will be doing next week. But um, they give us a, a, this, uh, a peek into the theme of James, which is that godly wisdom is such as being quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, or slow to, be, slow to become angry because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So I'll have him put it up on the screen so you can see it. He says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And in verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So this is the text today. So now we can go home. Just kidding. Um, but this is the short, sweet text. And I, I want to point out the first thing that really jumped out to me is that James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Three times James used my beloved brothers in his short letter, but each time he used it, immediately after he firmly challenged them. If you get a chance to read over James as a whole, you'll be able to see that this is not an easy letter, but one of full of different challenges that the believers were facing. He challenges them in the very next little section to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. He accuses them of the sin of, of partiality. He challenges them again with faith, that faith without works is dead. This is all coming down the road in James. He warns them of taming the tongue. Chapter 3, is a, there's a whole section of that, and then he briefly just mentions it here. And then chapter 4, he warns against worldliness. And then uh, warning to the rich in chapter 5. This is not a fun letter for James, I don't think. I don't think he was like, hey guys, I got some really good stuff for you. And then he proceeds to, you know, challenge them and give them a, a kind of a correction. Um, it really made me think of, of, as a father correcting his child, there are moments and there are times where you don't, you know, you love them, and you know that it's going to be hard, but you know you have to do it, and you know it's the right thing to do. And this is kind of the, this is, this is James. This is where he's at. He's presenting this challenge to, his, to the people of God, the Jewish believers of that time, first century, and he's saying, hey, this is where we're at, guys. These are some things that you need to look at. And the other important thing that I want to mention to this is, is that um, it, this is imperative mode here for James. He's not giving them an option, and he's, he's not saying, hey, that if you feel like this, then you should do this. No, he's actually saying that, that you need to do this. You, this, is, this is a command. This is the imperative mood. You need to do this. And so I, I know that's we just got to let that set for a minute, but we'll get to, we'll get to the good stuff here in a minute. But it, it definitely reminded me of a father correcting his child. Um, it also sometimes, as a boss, you have to correct an employee, and you're like, you know, they're doing a good job, but there's some other things that they could be doing better, right? So there's there's kind of that balance that you have to strike. 
But James is wanting them to know that even as he challenges them, after every single one of them, that he loves them. And he says, you're my beloved brother or my beloved brothers and sisters. He does it three times. He has, this is a short letter, but three times he tells them this. So he's trying to make sure they understand, hey, guys, I love you. This is in love. Um, and, and as you read this, this verse, there's some things that probably immediately jump out to you, like in Scripture in Sunday school, right? You remember, you remember the songs about, you know, holding your tongue, be careful little tongue what you say, or be careful little mouth what you say, right? <laughs> if you remember that song. But th- there's some Scriptures that, are, that come to our mind and some songs that come to our mind. One of them is Proverbs 17 and 27 and 28. It says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And verse 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19, another one from the book of wisdom. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And then I think we have this one, Proverbs 14, 17. A man of quick timber, excuse me, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. And a man of evil devices is hated. And then in Proverbs 14, verse 29, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And then I'll go to one more, two more here. Whoever is slow to anger, in Proverbs 16, 32, it says whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And then James even mentions it in chapter 3, verse 6. He says this. He said, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Wow. Pretty, pretty straightforward there about the tongue. And we'll let, we'll let uh, Ryan deal with that later. But he's like, hey, it, the tongue is something you have to watch out for because in it is a lot of issues that can come up. And then in, in verse 8, he, say, he, he says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil fully of, full of deadly poison. Um, this was not new to them. This, this, this particular uh, passage of Scripture was uh, referencing Jewish literature. It was, it was something they had heard. It's something no doubt we have heard even here today as modern believers. And so it wasn't a surprise to hear something like this from them. Um, but it was an issue in the first century church, right? And they needed to be reminded and challenged of this truth. And then here we are today being reminded and challenged of this truth in the modern church. Um, I have a funny story I wanted to share with you guys. Can you put that crazy animal up there? Okay, so this little guy, if you would like him, is free. Come get him now. Uh, he looks fun. He looks nice. And he looks sweet. But boy, do I have a story to tell. So one time, I was coming home. Oh, it was a couple weeks ago. We had put him in the kennel in our, in our bedroom. And we're like, oh, everything will be fine. You know, we had to go run some errands. I don't remember what it was. And we came back, and the little guy had gotten out of the kennel. Now, we're working on potty training, so he's six months right now. So he's learning. That gives you an idea of where he's at. So he's learning, 
But the, the rascal gets out and he jumps on our bed and decides to use that as a potty spot, right? Not just number one, but number two also. And um, it wasn't on my wife's side of the bed. It was on my side of the bed, okay? So we immediately had a powwow. <laughs> this dog is going. I had some serious anger issues at that point in my life raising up within me. But we've all been there. I know this is just kind of a soft, easy approach to anger. And, um, but we've all been there where we've had moments in our life, things that frustrate us so much so that we want to lash out, right? We want to say what we know is not the right thing to say. And we want to, we want to react instead of respond. And uh, this, th- this happens to us often. Um, but James isn't just dealing with a puppy, you know, going to the bathroom on the bed here. It's a little bit more intense than that. In fact, in chapter 4, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to steal everybody else's thunder, but i got to use a little bit of context here. Uh, James chapter 4 uh, reads this. He says, uh, excuse me, 4 and 1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is not this, that your passions are at war? He says, is it not this, excuse me, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, you, so you murder. You covet and, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. In verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In verse 4, you adulterous people. So this isn't, hey, pat on the back here. This is, this is a check. Like, you need to fix this. You need to watch this. This is a very stern epistle. Um, and it's, it's not uh, something that we can just kind of go through. We have to take some time and we have to sift through what he's saying and how it applies to our life. And Maybe today you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 murder is not an issue for me. I'm good. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy or I'm not that kind of girl. Uh, or maybe, maybe, that, maybe anger is not an issue for you, but maybe your tongue is an issue for you. And maybe controlling what you say and uh, when you say it, is, that's the hard part for you. Um, but whatever it is, we are tempted, all of us, in this room are tempted to say things out of haste, or we are tempted to act out of anger and wrath when we know it's not the right thing to do. Paul, Peter, and James, all of them in the New Testament have, have pointed out that there is a war in our members. Uh, Paul says in Galatians five sixteen through 17, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In verse 17, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And then Peter mentions it in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions passions of the flesh, which which wage war against your soul. And then in James chapter 4 and verse 1, he says it like we just read, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
with this great struggle in us, I sometimes wonder when I look at this and when I look at James saying, hey, you need to do this. I, I, I pause and I, I think, well, uh, is that even possible? Is transformation possible? Is our character development ever going to happen? Is, are we ever going to develop and mature to the place to where we do control our tongue, to where we do control our attitude? These are the, that's the hard part. This is the hard part, dealing with these questions and asking ourselves these questions. Um, we have a response. To, there's a couple responses we can choose. We can choose to ignore it, um, or we can choose like so many of us do, and that is to try to fix what we can about ourselves. Uh, we try to do it ourselves. We try to go it alone. We try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, hey, I can do this. Um, if you ever, do you remember the bookstores that we used to have back in the day? Like the self-help sections were the largest sections there. And so that was, for all of you younger people, that was our YouTube. That was, that's where we went. And we would go in there and we could just, you know, you could say, hey, I want to get better at uh, psychology. You could pick whatever subject you want. It was there. And uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, Hastings. I mean, there were several of them. But anyway, I digress. The, the, <laughs> you, you basically get the point that, that the self-help idea is it permeates our society and it permeates our Western culture so, so much so that we have um, you know, YouTube, we have uh, Google, we have all these things you can just go to and just anything you need. You want to know how to do it? I've actually, I run a business, and there's things that I don't know that I'll YouTube so that when I go to my customer, I can tell them I know. Okay? Now, I'm not telling you all my secrets so you can say, Idaho, you know, my, my business is terrible. Please don't do that. But what I am saying is there are things you run across that you don't know, and so you can go there and you can find it very quickly. Um, so we try that, don't we? We try to go fix things. We try to follow the plan. We try to, uh, we try the little, the willpower and determination. You remember, uh, anybody go to the gym? I do. And in January, it's getting crowded, right? Well, why is that? Because everybody's like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get better. I'm going to improve myself this year. This is my year. And I'm not condemning anybody that has ever said that because I've done it. And you go, and then February comes around, and you are there once a week or whatever it might be. It just, the crowd just goes down. Why is that? Why is it? Because we struggle with the will, and we, there's a war in us fighting to do what is right, to do what we know is right. Um, and eventually, down the road, if you have tried this path, and if you haven't yet, I don't encourage it, but if you, if you have gone down this path, eventually you're going to find that your struggle is in vain. And at some point, you'll realize, hey, I didn't keep my end of the bargain. I wasn't able to keep my commitment. I wasn't able to follow through. I wasn't able to control my tongue. I wasn't able to control my attitude. It's about that self-control. So what happened? What went wrong? Where did, what did we do? We, we went wrong. 
This is our story. This is who we are. The the second option is relying on God. Sorry. This is the part that, this is the good part. Hopefully there's a small desire, and if there's not, then my prayer for you today is that you would ask God for the desire. Because often we don't want change. We don't want that transformation sometimes. And I get it. You don't want to deal with it, so you push it aside. But my hope and my prayer is today that if that's you, that you would pray, God, give me the desire. Help me to see. Help me to hunger. Help me to want to know what you want me to do. Help me to overcome the temptation to lash out. Help me to overcome the temptation to not control my attitude. We seek after all these things not as a way to look good or to show outward appearance or of religion, but for a deep transformation of our inner person. We long for the day we will be perfect and complete. But change can't happen. Transformation can't begin in us when we choose to ignore God's word. Sorry. The heart is the center of who we are. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the scripture says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. James chapter 1 and verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The problem with sin and our lack of self-control is that it's an inside job. It cannot be fixed with your external efforts. It cannot be repaired by how much you attend Rev 22. It can't be repaired by you determining to, to get it right. You won't have enough willpower. You won't have enough strength to do it. It is an inner issue. Foster, Richard Foster says, Inner righteousness is a gift from God to be graciously received. The needed change within us is God's work, not ours. The demand is for an inside job. We can't ignore it. When I was preparing this, this was the hard part, and here it is, the hard part. Psalms 139, 23 through 4. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any, see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting, everlasting. This is the cry of the psalmist. This is why he is the man after God's own heart, is because he is seeking after God. And he's saying, God, check me. See if there be anything in me that should not be there. Psalms 42, 1 through 2. As a, as a deer pants for following streams, flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. This is the hunger. This is the, the uh, desire within the psalmist as he's writing this. 
I was thinking of Joseph and, and how Bren was pre- preaching about Joseph and how he overcame the temptation of Potiphar's wife. And here, here he is being tempted every day by this. And it, it, it says in the story that he said, I could not, how could I do this to my God? It wasn't that Joseph had some special superhuman powers. Joseph was just like me and you. But somewhere along the way, Joseph guarded his heart. He put a barrier around his heart to protect it. And so he was able to overcome that temptation. Luke chapter 6 tells us the good person, verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. I mentioned this. Where's our hearts today? Gosh, thank you, uh, the gentleman that opened this morning. Where's our hearts? Where have we placed the affection of our hearts at? And I'm asking myself these same questions. Proverbs 23 and 12, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to the words of knowledge. Now, I know that's not easy, and I know it's not easy to self-reflect, and I know it's not easy to go there. So, thank you for bearing with me on that. But James one twenty one says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampantness, wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. It's hard. But receive what God has for you. Receive the word from him in humility and let him work in you. Now, there is no quick fix to this. There is no solution that we have that we can just say, hey, you need to take this magic pill, right? It's not there. It takes days. It takes weeks. It takes months. It takes years to be carefully conformed and transformed. Through this process, we're learning patience, stillness, perseverance, and what James calls steadfastness. But I'm really thankful that you're not alone, and we are not alone. In Philippians, Paul says, chapter 3, verse 6, he said, I am sure of this, that uh, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You're not alone in this battle. In fact, it's not on you. But God, through Jesus Christ, is going to complete that work that he has already begun in you. Peter mentions and talks about growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, it's a work of grace. It is not our, uh, it is not what we can do, but it is God's work of grace in us. So how do we maintain this? How do we, how do we continue to stay into self-control? Or how, how do we formulate that? Or how do we even continue to mold that in our life? And, and how does it look? And I, and I, I want to mention how uh, this illustration that I thought was helpful in, in dealing with this question. And that is that a farmer, uh, there's a lot of them around out where I live, farmer is helpful to grow crops. Also, he, or excuse me, farmer is helpless to grow crops. 
All he can do is provide the right condition for the growing of the crop. He can cultivate the ground. He plants the seed. He waters. And then natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the crop, right? The farmer doesn't make the crop grow. The farmer just does some preparation. But it does involve effort on his part. But he's not responsible for the fruit of that crop. But he has to put the seed in the ground if the crop is going to grow. And as believers, we got to put the seed in the ground sometimes so that God can produce the fruit that we hope for, the fruit that we long for, the change that we want, the transformation that we want. James does not have an easy task. Chapter 5 and verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of our Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. He says in verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts from the coming, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There it is. Establish your hearts. But how? How do I do that? How do I get there, God? I don't even know that I want to. We get there by surrender. We get there by that prayer at the psalmist. Lord, search me. Know me. Guide me. Show me. It's humility. That's how we get there. We don't get there with great knowledge. We don't get there with a degree. But we get there by opening our hearts and saying, God, what would you have me to do? 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 Now, the good news is this, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, do you have it? Yes. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You're going to become what God has called you to become. Not because of you and your work, but because of Jesus and because of his work. You can rest in that today. You can trust in that today. When you go this week and you make plans to what you're going to accomplish, you can sit down and say, I know I'm going to fail at some of this, but God, I know you're going to be there to help me pick up those pieces And I know you're going to be able to help me finish and complete what I know to do. I hate to leave you hanging on just emotional stuff. (laughs) But I feel like that is where the Lord has led me to direct you today. And I don't want there to be any confusion 
about justification. You are justified freely. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That is not the question. That is not the question. The question is, are we growing in grace? And are we willing to hear? And are we willing to receive what God has to say through his word? And so let me pray with you. And then they're going to come and lead us in worship. Father, thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your mercies that follow us. Thank you for guiding us. And thank you for picking us up, Lord, when we fail. And it is often. And Lord, when we read scriptures like James and he challenges us so hard, help us not to shy away. But help us to be the children that embrace your instruction. Lord, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the gospel that we can lean on it during this time. And I thank you, Lord, for the work of the cross. It is finished, and I thank you for that. I pray, God, that you would guide us and that you would lead us. In the name of Jesus.